Philippi continued to be a great blessing to the Apostle Paul throughout his years of ministry, throughout his work, now with overjoy and overwhelming heart and wisdom in his years, he writes a letter of gratitude and somewhat of instruction as he moves or as he is moved by the Holy Spirit of God. I want us to look at Philippians chapter 1 this morning. Put that image in your mind of, of a man sitting there thankful for what God has done. He's going to write to the Philippian church, and he writes in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's thinking about them. He says, I thank my God. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath, begin, hath begun a good work in you, will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in my and, and, and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Before we read the scripture, I described for you a beautiful mountaintop scenery and circumstances that would probably inspire any one of us or every one of us to be thankful to God for what he's done in us and through us and with us. However, that scene for the Apostle Paul never happened. The scene never happened. Instead of sitting in the company of a dear friend and on the porch of a mountain cabin, Paul was sitting alone on the floor of a dirty dungeon cell. Instead of beholding the beauty of a mountain landscape, he saw four dingy, dirty gray walls. And while the outward circumstances were not true, the inward celebration was. Can you imagine sitting, you've served God your life, and you find yourself sitting for the final chapter of your life. If you're a football fan, for the fourth quarter of your life. And you're sitting on the, a dirt floor of a dirty, bug-infested dungeon. And that's, what Paul was, that's where Paul was sitting. Paul does in this passage and in this book, Remember with fondness Philippi, he is overjoyed with the blessings that they had been to him. He's moved of the Holy Spirit to write this epistle, and it's an epistle, as I said at the beginning, of gratitude, of thankfulness. I want this morning, if you would, just for a few moments, and as we get into the message, move on to the the. the the very part of the, the text I want us to look at. But I want us to think about what would our attitude be? We know what Job's was from the Sunday school 
thought, uh, Job's uh, thought was, God is enough. Here's Paul in the fourth quarter of his life. As his life is winding down, not because he is going to grow old and die a good old age, but because it won't be long and they'll lop his head off. Here he's sitting there. He will come, by the way, to the acknowledgement uh, before they execute him that this is it. Whether in Philippi he had, uh, at the time he writes to Philippi, whether he had that thought in his mind, I don't know. But he's not in the best of circumstances. And yet, he's upbeat. I like to look at people. I've gone to the hospital in the 40 years I pastored. I've gone to the hospital many times and I wanted to take and encourage the persons there. Maybe they had just gone through a surgery or uh, a chronic illness that's landed them in the, in the, the hospital. And here they are. And I, I, I know going in sometimes, have been many times, that they're not coming out on this side of the grave. I go in and I, I want to read some scripture to them. I want to pray with them. I want to encourage them that God is good. And I walk in and I don't encourage them. They encourage me. And I walk out thinking how great God is. Amen? That's Paul. So as we begin this morning, let's have a word of prayer. And I just want to talk about Paul, and then we'll get to the text that I really want to focus on this morning. Father, bless I pray our time together this morning. I pray you'd use this time together for us to put our mind on you. Thank you that you are enough. If all that's gone, if everything that we've worked for and we've earned and, and, Lord, that we've counted on and everyone around us who has been our support is gone, you're still enough. But I also pray this morning that we would have an upbeat attitude. Not a poor me, not woe is me, but an attitude that, God, you're good. God, you're good. Would you please bless the morning service this morning and Please be with Pastor as he is with his family and celebrating the 80th birthday of Miss Teresa's dad. I, I pray, Lord, that you, they would have a, a refreshing time, a time of, uh, of strengthening in their family. And, and, Lord, just give them a good time. Be with them as they travel back tomorrow. And uh, just be with them. Keep them safe. And, Lord, I just pray that everything that's done for there in Steamboat Springs here in uh, Fort Morgan and Lord, even our home church in Sterling, Lord, to be done for thy glory and thy honor. We'll praise you for it. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So, again, I, I, I want to note a couple things this morning as we begin. First thing is this Paul's outward surroundings didn't dampen his inward spirit. In verses three through five, you get the idea that Paul's outward surroundings could have brought him to the place of bitterness. But instead, he dwelt in gratitude. He could have been sullen, or if you would, depressed. He could have been resentful or angry at his circumstance, or even, if you would, hostile or malicious about uh, what was going on. But he wasn't. Philippians shows us a believer who has a sweetness about him, a, a thankfulness, an appreciation, a uh, a gracious spirit. I said this earlier. He's upbeat. He's upbeat. I love, listen, we, we have a, 
fellow in our church, and he's been in our church for quite quite some time, got saved, baptized at our church. And, I, and I'll walk in uh, when I was pastor, and now he's still there, and, 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 he, and he loves the Lord. But I'll walk in and I'll say, uh, Phil, how you doing today? And here's what he says, okay. <laughs> Always does. I mean, if you are... If you're having a good day and you want to keep having a good day, pass Phil up because he's going to say, okay, I don't care if, his, if he just had a grandchild. Okay. I, he, could have got, he could have won the lottery. First of all, I want to know why is he playing the lottery. Number two, how much is he going to give to God? And number three, does he realize that we're brothers but number four, he would still say, okay. I, what is it? There's a cartoon character they call it, Eeyore or something like that. He, if I'm right, that's the one, Eeyore. Okay. But I walk in and I, we have a lady who was my piano player for all 22 years and, and played, and now she's turning 90, 90. She'll be turning 90 next month, and and she can't play anymore, and she stepped aside. And I'll walk in, I'll say, Miss Myrna, how you doing today? Doing good. Doing good. She fell and broke her hip, was in the hospital, and she's not had a lot of bad issues with health. And I walked in, I said, Miss Myrna, how you doing? Doing good. Now, who do you think I want to go visit? Okay. Or I'm doing good. And, you know, my wife and I have had some relatives that have been on both sides of that issue. We had, she had an aunt. Her aunt's name was Bernice, but she went by Bunny. Bunny was anything but warm and cuddly. First of all, she was a Chicago, fan, a Chicago Cubs fan. You can't be warm and cuddly if you're a Chicago Cubs fan. Th by the way, this is prior to them winning uh, the the World Series a few years back. They're perennial losers. But she watched them. She lived in Illinois. She watched them on TV. They came on TV. She was sitting there. She'd sit from the first pitch to the last pitch. And I guarantee her mood was always worse when the game ended than when the game uh, started. We always came to her house. We'd say, Aunt Bunny, uh, we'd come by. It's my wife's great aunt. Not on my side of the family. It's on her side of the family. And we would go in, and we would, and here's what we'd say. We'd come in, and we'd say, Aunt Bunny, we can't stay very long. And then we would, you know, we'll see how the visit went. If she said, which is what she did most of the time, we had to go. But if she, if she said, you know, Uncle Kenny, it, it really did something special for me. We stayed a little while. But we were always on our way through. Am I not right? Always on our way through. Why? Because she wasn't like a bundle of joy. Paul's in prison. He has a right not to be a bundle of joy. But he didn't let his surroundings dampen him. Paul's attitude illustrates for us that we don't have to allow the struggles of life and the afflictions of life to beat us down. Let me put it in a term maybe for this generation. Paul was a victor not a victim. My daughter was this sweet little girl, sat on my lap, my oldest. She was so much fun when she was young. 
Daddy was everything. And then she turned 13. By the laugh, you know exactly what I'm saying. She woke up one morning. She walked out, and here's this beautiful, wonderful young girl. And she and, and pretty, and, and, and she walked out, and I swear her name went from Amanda to Attila. Attila the Hun. She walked out that morning out of her room, and she said, I hate everything. Nobody's nice to me. Nobody likes me. I looked at my wife and said, who is that? I want the little girl back that used to sit on my lap, and she knew she could talk Dad out of anything. She'd sit on my lap, and she'd say, Daddy. And I just said, what do you want? Because I knew it was coming. Change like that. Now, fortunately, she changed back. But man, which means I'm on the hook again. She's in her 40s, and I'm on the hook again. But, you know, Paul could have been that disgruntled person that everybody says, don't ask them how they feel. Do not ask them, how's it going today? Because they're going to tell you, and it's going to take a while. Paul's a victor, not a victim. Paul says this, another one of his epistles, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You want to turn there, you can. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, it says this, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace that might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not, but, but, though, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. You get the context of what he's saying in this passage. He's saying everything that happened to me happened for your benefit. Everything that happens in my life, God is allowing that to happen. It's happening for the benefit of growing in him and for you to grow in him. And so that's what Paul is saying. And by the way, that's true. That's true. Paul lived by the power of God's grace, not in the fear of man's persecution. You and I, no matter our circumstances, we choose. We choose whether we're going to have a good day or not. We choose whether we're going to be victors or victims. We can choose to walk in God's power, walk in God's grace and be victors, or we can walk in our own power and be victims. What do we choose? What do we choose? It doesn't matter whether you're young or old, single or married. It doesn't matter. And so we notice in this passage, just as introduction, that Paul's outward surroundings didn't dampen his inward spirit. The second thing we notice is that Paul's daily practice was to pray for others. Notice that he, uh, there are two things that were mentioned about the prayer uh, for those at Philippi. First, he thanked God for their fellowship and their blessing to him. He was thankful. In chapter 4, in verse 16, uh, it, it, it says this, if I can get there. It, it says this, For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again to my distresses. He's thanking God for them. He's thanking God. Remember where he's presently sitting. Remember where he's at. And by the way, because we know the end of what happens to Paul in, some, in a little while, uh, we know his end. And yet he's thankful. He's thankful. 
Paul wasn't oblivious to his surroundings. I don't think that's the situation. I don't think he was obliviously uh, uh, happy not knowing what was going on, what was going on around him. I, I, I told uh, a church one time, we had a bus driver in our church, and he, he's a good man and faithful but oblivious. As the kids behind him were, were going wild and doing crazy things, he just kept driving. We'd say, Brother Ken, did you see that kid throwing the other kid out of his seat and sitting in his seat? He'd say, I didn't see that. Did you see the kids going wild in the back of the bus? I didn't hear that. He's completely oblivious. We, we kept putting people on the bus, workers on the bus, to because he would start at, at point A, never missed a stop. He was always there. He, he was there. He was on time. He was great. But he was, he, ne he was oblivious to everything going on around him. He'd get back and say, how was the bus today? It was great. And I'd look at my wife, because my wife was one of his workers at one time. And it's like, you know, the person put their finger in the, hair, in the socket and go eh, with their hair. Every year and a half or so, I'd have to put a new bus worker on there because the other one would quit. He was oblivious. That's not Paul. He knows what's going on. He knows what's happening. He knows that he's in prison for the gospel's sake. He knows this is testimony that got there. He knows that, uh, and I think he knows at some point, he knows that I'm going to die here. I'm going to be executed. But yet he's praying for others. How much do we pray for others? How much are we consumed about our needs and our wants and what's going on in our life? And how much do we thank God and pray for the benefit of others? Careful study of Philippians the other epistles revealed that he prayed for more than just grace and peace for them. I think the lesson, again, as I mentioned, is no matter our personal circumstances, can I say this? We're a blessed people. We really are. We're a blessed people. I mean, if it's hot, you turn the air conditioning off, unless you have a wife. Then you get a blanket for her, give her the blanket, and then you turn the air conditioning off. I always tell my wife, we can get more blankets, but we can't get cool without the air conditioning. You get in a car, and yes, gas is high, and yes, you know, all these things are going on, but, it, but notice that we can get from one place to the other. Do you realize that in, prior to 1850, that the majority of people in this world never went more than 50 to 75 miles from their home, from where they were born? They, they didn't go very far. Listen, 75 miles to us is, now out here it's about 65 minutes because, you know, we, uh, we have speed limits. You know that suggestion on the side of the road. But they traveled. They tra we have missionary, I have a missionary in China who he literally has to travel nine hours out to a village to get to, to, get to preach to people. We have it so good. We really do. We've got it good. We are a blessed people. Paul's not in that situation. But if our prayer life is centered around us and sprinkled with others from time to time, it really ought to be about others and sprinkled with us from time to time. I want you to notice that about him. But then he gets to verse 6, and 
Verse 6 is really where I want us to go this morning. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He shares with them this truth. Here's the truth. I like to give you a, a, a truth in each message. The, the truth in, in the morning thought or the Sunday school thought was this, God is enough. But the thought this morning in the morning message is this, God is still working on you. God is still working on you. He assures those at Philippi who have been such a good blessing to him that God was working in their lives. As you and I travel toward eternity, and all of us are traveling toward eternity, if you're not saved, you really need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, because I tell you, eternity will not be real good for you if not. But if you're saved this morning, you're still traveling toward eternity. And be confident of this thing. That is, he which hath begun a good work in you. God began in your life, the day you got saved, he began working in your life to transform you. That's his goal. His goal is that the you you were is not the you you will be later on down the road. You're different. Now, I grew up, I, I, said, I think I said this before when I was here, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I did not grow up in a, in a uh, financially well-off home. Uh, I grew up in what would be uh, considered the projects or the ghetto or, or the barrio, because being Spanish, I grew up in L.A., California. And we were not a well-off family. We, be, we grew up in uh, an area uh, near, uh, called Bell or Bell Gardens, near uh, Montebello, if you know those areas, those are not really great areas. We lived in an area where uh, you need to be careful. You didn't go out at night a lot. Uh, lived in West Louisville at one time for about a year, and West Louisville was the side of town that you didn't want to be in. That's where I grew up. I went to work at 14 years old, full-time, been working full-time until I uh, stepped aside here uh, not long ago. Why? Because we didn't grow up in a privileged family. We didn't grow up in a Christian family. We didn't. But when God saved me, well, I didn't save myself. God saved me. He began working in my life. I remember those early, early years. And if you're, a, if you're a believer, he's working in your life today. You can trust in that truth. You can rest in that truth that he's working in. Whatever is going on in your life, God knows it. And he's going to use it to m mature you in his walk. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. The moment you became a believer, that very moment, he began working in your life, and he's working right now. And his goal is to mold you into his image. That's his goal. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. If you're a believer... He's working in your life and, and through his spirit and through his word. Can I, I, can I just say this? None of us have arrived. None of us are there. We, all of us have uh, blemishes in our character, blemishes in our heart, blemishes in our mind, and blemishes, by the way, in our actions. But Jesus promised uh, back in the book of John before he, uh, he was crucified, that he would be absent, but that he would send his spirit to comfort us and to guide us. 
John 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said unto you. We're told later on we're not to quench or we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. It means we're to listen to him as he guides us in all truth. One of the greatest things that happened in my life uh, are, are uh, waking up moments was when I was a, a young man, I'd just gotten saved. It was realizing something had changed. Something was different. I was one of those tough kids that was, you men don't cry, and men, uh, men are rough and gruff, and if you can speak a little crude, that makes you a bigger man. And, and that's, that's kind of where I grew up. And, and, and God started working in my life. And taking the Lord's name in vain wasn't, a, 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 wasn't thought of as, a, as, as some kind of sin or some kind of wrong. It was just the way we talked, the way everybody talked. I heard words when I was growing up in my home that I go, <gasps> when I hear it today. But all of a sudden, God started talking to me. And I knew it was God. Now, I'm not saying I ate a pizza, had some anchovies, and all of a sudden God was speaking audible voices. I'm saying God started speaking in my heart. You know what he was doing? Molding me. I don't know how many times, Brother West, I would say something, and I'd say something that was inappropriate, that was wrong. And I'd say something. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit would speak to me. He'd say, that wasn't right. I felt guilty. No one likes to feel guilty. None of us like to feel like we're wrong. Someone say amen. None of us like to feel like we're wrong. But I was wrong. You know what he's doing? Molding me. My wife, I, I, I just have to say this, she's an absolute angel. Say why? Well, because she put up with me. We got married when we were young. We've been married 48 years, and we were pretty young when we got married. Yes, she was very young when we got married. And I used to get mad. I, I know you guys, this never happened in your families, but I have a temper. I know you're not supposed to have that, but it kind of came with the equipment. And I'd have a temper. And I'd get mad, and I was, she'd sit there so nice and sweet and quiet. You want to aggravate your husband, just be sweet and quiet. I sat there, and I remember this so clearly. We are married about the first year, and I'm yelling at her, screaming at her, yelling, you know, driving in the car. I remember where we were, a couple blocks from our apartment. She's sitting there, and, and, and I'm, I'm hurting her. I really am. It's wrong. And I'm feeling bad because I've just gotten saved. And finally, my wife looks over at me, and she says, are you finished yet? I was until she said that. And I realized I had to go back to my wife and apologize. I even became so tender to God. Can you believe this? I went to my mother-in-law and I apologized to her. It was like, whoa. She looked at me and started crying. You know what happened? God started working in me. God started working in me. Then I started reading the Bible. 
And God began to produce in me, and he began to clean, cleanse me from the truth. I did, one of my first big decisions after I got saved, I've been saved a couple years by then, I've been baptized, and I, I'm now starting to go to church, and I'm realizing how important church is. And by the way, just let me say this, church is important whether you know it or not. And I decided I needed to stop cursing. You know how hard it is to stop cursing? Man, let me tell you something. Stop smoking cigarettes is easier than stop cursing. I wouldn't know. I didn't ever smoke, but, but I'm sure that's true. And God would get a hold of me, and he'd remind me of things. You know what he does? He works in you, and he works in you, and he works in you. And when you think you're there, you're not. He keeps working in you. He does it through the Spirit of God. He does it through the Word of God. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Order, this, order my steps in the word, David said, and let not any iniquity have a dominion over me. And I finally had to bow down, and, and, and this is a good lesson for young Christians. By the way, pretty good lesson for old Christians too. I had to bow down and say, God, I'm useless. You got to help me. You got to help me. And you can, listen, you can put out a jar like this, and every time you curse, put a quarter in it, it'll fill up. But really, that's not going to make you quit. What's going to make you quit is realizing you're hurting the heart of God. And you asking God to work in your life. Somebody say amen. Up north, brother, they don't say amen a lot. They, they're, they're there. They're listening. They just don't say anything. They're silent majority. The truth of the matter is, he starts working your life. Let me tell you something. You can, you can be confident of this. Not only is he working in your life, but he's going to continue working in your life. Notice it says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until. That word until means that God isn't finished with you and me. I'm glad he's not finished with us. I'm glad I don't have to get up here and, and, and profess perfection to you. First of all, you wouldn't believe it. You're not that stupid. And I couldn't pull it off because I'm not a good liar. By the way, it's a benefit to not being a good liar because then you have to tell the truth. If you're believing according to the Scriptures, you've been changed, but you haven't been perfected. God keeps working on you, shaping and molding your life until the very minute you leave this world. You know what our duty is? Yield. That's our duty. Yield to God's hand. He will work in us, but he, we must allow him to work. Notice what God says in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves to God. That word submit is a wonderful word. It means to place oneself under the authority, the guidance or direction of another. That's what the word submission. It doesn't mean that God is going to subdue us, which is what a policeman does when he says, you know, put your hands up and you resist. And, and he goes over there and he helps you put your hands where he wants them. That's subduing. Submission has nothing to do with the one giving the order. It has to do with the one obeying the order. 
Submission is putting yourself under the direction, the guidance and direction of another. That's what submission is. And so he calls upon us in the book of James, and he says to submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore. Again, it's that, it's that idea of doing it yourself, of willingly saying, I am going to take and submit myself to God. I'm going to, I'm going to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. What? That he may exalt me in due time. I think the classic example is Jeremiah at the potter's house. Jeremiah is going through a very rough time in his life, and he doubts whether God can, uh, can, can ever change Israel. Israel's going so far away from God, he doubts whether God can do anything to him. And, and God says, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. It's an amazing thing. He goes down there, and God, I'm convinced, doesn't speak to him right away. He goes down there, and he's watching the potter. And you can, I, I always get the idea that he's kind of leaning against the door frame or something. And he's watching the potter as he works. And he says, the potter has a vessel on the wheel. And he's turning that vessel, and he's working with that vessel. And all of a sudden, the potter gets something in the middle of that vessel that's a hard part. And, and all of a sudden, the, 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 the pottery, the, pot, the vessel on the, on, on the wheel begins to go sideways, and all of a sudden, it's completely ruined. He reaches in there, and he digs that out, throws it to the side, compresses it again, starts turning that wheel, and he makes a new vessel. And that vessel is purified. It's beautiful. It's in the hands of the potter. And he said, Jeremiah, don't you ever forget that Israel's in my hands as that vessel's in the, pot, in the potter's hands. And he said, I can, make that, I can make Israel new again. I can put them on the wheel of circumstance and the wheel of event in their life, and I can make them a vessel of honor and of glory unto me. I can do that. And we think about our country as pretty well gone in so many aspects, but don't ever count God out. Because God can. He can make a new vessel. He can change things around. But America has to let him, and you have to let him. You'll be the same old vessel you are today or you were 20 years ago if you don't let God work in your life. If you don't let the Holy Spirit speak to you. You don't let this book speak to you. If you don't let, realize that you're not it, you haven't arrived. You're not where you ought to be. And when you get to where you think you ought to be, you're not there yet because you're not in his presence. He's still working on you. Third thing I see at the end of this verse is it says, until the day of Jesus Christ, someday, someday, God's work in us will be over. We will be complete. And we will be perfected. What a day that will be. We have a song in our songbook, what a day that will be. That's that day. That day when you and I get to look at him, uh, according to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, with immortality, I have to put on immortality. That which is imperfect will have to put on perfection. And you only do that either through the rapture, which is what we, I was talking to a couple people before the service. We're kind of voting for that. But if not, when you step through that veil and you look up and there, there he is, the lover of your soul. 
You will see him as he is, and you'll be like him. What a wonderful day that will be. And God's not going to stop working until you're there. According to Revelation 21 27, we will be like him spiritually. The, di- the, days of di- uh, the days of fighting the flesh will be ended forever. Forever. I've never been satisfied with me here. I never have. And if you're satisfied, you know, this is just the way I am, and you know, that's the way it's going to be. I'm sorry. You've lost it. You've lost it. I'm not satisfied with me here. I'm not. I've never been satisfied, but I will be there. I'll look at me and say, finally, how great it is. David said it this way, as for me, I will behold thy faith faith in righteousness. I will be satisfied when I awake in with thy likeness. The question is not only are you one of his, are you saved? This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, let me tell you something. Eternity's coming, and faster for some than others, and you have no guarantee of tomorrow, and you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. But if you know him, he's in your heart, then your goal is to walk closer to Jesus every day. Some, like me, will have a farther journey. But when we leave this world, my goal is this, to leave this world with a tender heart towards Christ. That's my goal. In 1983, there was a church that called, I was in Bible college, and I'd just gotten out of the military a couple years prior to that, and I was in Bible college, and because of some connections and stuff of people we knew, they called me and they said, would you come be our pastor? And I I know this isn't kind, but I started laughing. Why? Because they asked me. I did. I started laughing. I said, (laughs) I haven't finished college yet. I, I don't think so. They said, would you pray about it? So I got in the car after work that night, had four of us college guys traveling together into the city to uh, go to work, and we're on our way home. And I said it like this. (laughs) You wouldn't believe what what I got a call tonight while I was at work. I said, so? I said, they asked me to come pastor them. And I thought they would laugh with me. Dan, I can't remember his last name. I know it all the time, but I don't know it now. Dan was like a year ahead of me in college, and he, he looked at me and he said, what are you laughing about? They prayed about it and you didn't, and you laugh at their request? Now I feel bad. Learning, still learning. So I went to my chancellor and talked to him, and I really gave him reasons I wasn't going to pastor them. He looked at me and he said, did they pray about that? Well, they said they did. Meaning, in my mind, I don't think they know what they're talking about. He said, you need to go talk to them. You need to let God talk to you. Long and short of it, they elected me their pastor. All four of them. Well, I had 80% because one voted against me. There's five. Voted 
for me to be their pastor. And so I started going from college to there, pastoring and doing it while I was finishing up my college. And I could never believe they were using me. And I talk about these awful sinners, how we shouldn't be that. You know what I was doing most of the time? Using me. I didn't want to tell them that because they'd walk out the door. So I was using my me. And we grew from five to 50,000. Then another church called and said, we're looking for a pastor and your name has come to us. And I went from a church that was running 55 to a church that was running like 85, 90. And they actually paid me. Because the first church never paid me. Four and a half years, never got a check, never got a, never got a uh, income at all. And they actually paid me, and they didn't want me to work outside the church. And for eight and a half years, here I was a pastor of a church, <laughs> and they were paying me to tell them how bad I was. And then about eight and a half years after pastoring, God talked to my heart, and I went and started another work in, in Kansas. 900 miles away. And I worked outside the church, started the church, and about four and a half years into it, we were running about 95. I think our average the last three months is 103. Here we were just doing great things, and God took that away from me and brought me to Sterling, Colorado. God allowed me to pastor in Sterling, Colorado for 22 years. And I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be do what I've been gracious, or he's been gracious to allow me to do. He's still working on me. Yeah, I got over the cursing thing pretty good. But there are other things that I'm still having to learn. Like having a bad attitude sometimes. Come on. You think earlier I was talking about a guy like Job having a great attitude. It's because I know what he's like. I always have a great attitude. Or Paul. No, there's some days I wake up and go, Bleh. what I'm telling you is God's still working in me. God is still working in me. Let him work. Let him work. Let him work in you. Your journey is not over yet. Your journey is not over yet. Talking with Mayhew this morning from Tomy Rage. I am not repeating that, I promise you. I did that once on my wife, and I haven't heard the end of it yet. But he's still working in Miss Mayhew's life. He's still working in your life. When he stops working, you have become calloused, or you have become, uh, if you were if you are, you're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. He's not working in your life. Why? Trying to mold you. Trying to mold you. Trying to make you into what you ought to be. I'll, I'll close with this. My wife likes to humiliate me by saying that I have mellowed. I do not like the word mellow. Sounds like a lemon that went bad. I did not mellow. I've grown. I've matured. Sometimes she'll do something I want to go. 
they're going to do it anyway. You know, the truth of the matter is, I'm still growing. He's still working in me. What's he doing in your life? I mean, right now, what is he doing in your life? Because he is working on you. He is. What's he doing in your life? If he's doing nothing, if you are what you were and what you determine you will be, then you're not letting the Holy Spirit of God speak to you. You're not letting the Word of God speak to you. Confident this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Good news, he's still working on us, which means he hasn't given up on us. Isn't it good news to know that? All God's people said, let's bow our heads if we would. Father, bless, I pray, the message this morning. I pray you'd use the message to teach our hearts. Maybe today we just need to, needed to know that God's still working on us. Maybe today what we needed to know is that you're enough. Lord, my prayer this morning, my prayer is that you would have your will and your way in my life. Would you please guide and direct? Lord, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, I ask you this morning, please speak to their heart. Brother West comes to direct the invitation. I pray, Lord, that you would take and speak to their heart. They'd come and allow someone to show them how they can know, they can know that they'll go to heaven, not by works of righteousness, but according to your mercy, they can know. And I pray, Lord, this morning, that we who have been saved a while, though we may have gotten a little older, we've not gotten crotchety, we've not gotten stubborn, but we're tender to the leading of the Spirit and the teaching of the Word. Would you please guide and direct us? We'll praise you for it. We thank you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Brother West. Let's stand, page 611. Let's sing that first verse, Take my life and let it be. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, it was good to see each and every one of you. Don't forget tonight, 4 o'clock choir practice, 4.30 Bible study class, and then 5 o'clock evening service tonight. Be here if you can. Thanks for being here this morning. Good to see you. You're dismissed.